All right, did you miss me? Yes. All right, good. So what have you been doing while I've been gone for these three months? You've been sitting around eating bonbons and watching soap poppers all day? Huh? Wait, that's what I've been doing for three months. Those of you that have no clue who I am, hello, it's nice to meet you. <laughs> uh, I'm the pastor of this bunch of misfit toys here we called Redeemer Presbyterian Church. We're glad you're here. Uh, there is a lot uh, to be heard from. I mean, how much has happened in three months? I mean, we could talk forever about everything that's happened to you, everything that's happened to me, my family, all that's gone on. There's so much to cover, so much to get going. So here's what I want to do. I want to uh, read the passage first, then kind of set out the ground rules for today, and at the end, kind of push us into the future, okay? So this is what we're going to do. If you have your Bibles, or I guess you can turn into your uh, bulletin or your booklet. I think they're, yep, page 10. The text is there. English Standard Version. Uh, I've got, I still, I've got to read out of my Bible for that. So I'm going to turn there. Let's stand for the reading of God's Word. All right, this is 2 Corinthians chapter 1. We're going to look at verses 3 through 11, okay? Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction. Did you catch that? Don't pass over that. All our affliction. Who comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction. Again, that word any. This is pretty comprehensive. So right away, those of you who are thinking, no, mine's not there. It's not in the list that God's talking about. It's not one of the all and it's not one of the any. Please hear those words, okay? With the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's suffering, so through, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it's for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it's for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. So our hope for you is unshaken. For we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. For we do not want you to be ignorant, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. I love those words. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. But that was to make us, here's the purpose of it all, that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. So he delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. You also must help us. Don't miss that. Do you see what he's saying? You, Corinthians, will help me by praying for me. So that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of the many. The word of the Lord. Be Please be seated. Lord, we ask that you would open our eyes. We ask that you would 
move in our hearts and we ask for change in the spot. Not because it's a nice saying and not because we're we have an overrealized eschatology. But because this text even says so. So, oh God, grant it for me, grant it for all of us, a good team. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, here's what we're going to do it's going to be a little different today. Uh, because of my return from the sabbatical, it's going to be a little more personal. I'm taking my style inspiration from Paul. I'm actually taking it for Corinthians. Corinthians, 2 Corinthians is probably Paul's most personal letter he's ever written. Now, I'm not saying this about us, (laughs) so please hear me. It was also a congregation that maybe disliked him the most. I know you guys love me, so don't, it's not exactly an equal thing. But, What's fascinating about 2 Corinthians is this, is that in every letter that Paul writes, he usually begins right off the bat, right out of the gate. He gives the announcement, you know, to the churches of blah, 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 right? And then what does he say? I pray this for you. I thank God for this for you. I I pray these things for you. And then he launches into his letter. And at the end of his letter, he says, now will you pray for me? And he might give a specific request, something that he's personally dealing with, his team he's dealing with. And then he says, for the furtherance of the gospel, keep going. Pray for this, pray for that. 2 Corinthians is the exact opposite. 2 Corinthians starts with him right out of the gate, sharing probably one of the most personal and vulnerable open things that he shared in verse 8. I don't want you to be ignorant, brothers, of the affliction we suffered. Verse 11, he launches into, please people pray for me. And then he closes the end of the book by praying for them. Now, why does Paul do this? Why? Paul has a message in his method. And it's the point of today. And it's probably going to be one of the overriding points of the whole fall on our side. You know, there's going to be one sliver of splendor that we're going to unpack in all of its beauty and all of its radiance this fall that will knock our socks off. But there's one thing about us on our side that I also want us to see. And here it is. Here's the point. We really need each other to make it. In other words, we're not going to make the Christian life without each other. Really. Really. We need each other to make it, really. Now, some of you aren't convinced, so I want you to look at verse 4 and verse 6, okay? Just for the beginning here. Look at 4, who comforts us in all our afflictions so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort which we ourselves are comforted by God. Go down to 6. If we are afflicted, it's for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it's for your comfort. I mean, do you see what's going on here? Comfort and affliction are communal experiences, communal experiences. They are not done in isolation. They are not done in solitary confinement. These experiences, comfort and affliction, are communal. In other words, in God's God's eyes, it's teamwork. You're a team. We're on the same team. 
I mean, look at this. Comfort comes to you in your affliction, doesn't it? That's what the text is saying. And I know some of us say, I don't know. I really don't know. And we're going to have to address that. I mean, good night. We're going to have to address that. You're in affliction. You're not sensing comfort. The text says you do. The text says you will. So what are we going to do about it? Oh, let's not preach on that, Jeff. Okay. I'm sorry. I just can't anymore. I can't. I mean, I had a hard time doing it before. Now that I'm back, I'm going to have an even harder time (laughs) not doing things. Because God's doing stuff in my life. Okay? But notice the comfort that comes to you doesn't dead end with you in this text. It continues on to others. So according to this passage, the comfort that God sends is a communal comfort. You get it, and you got to give it away. It's just the way it's designed. But not only that, look at the affliction. Verse 6, affliction comes to you so that you can be comforted, and so that comfort and salvation does what? Goes to others. So in God's eyes, comfort and affliction has you in mind and has other people in mind. All of us are in mind. A team is in mind. So don't, don't, don't go by. This is phenomenal stuff. Because what's happening here is that God is saying he is shepherding us as a team. He deals with you and me like a pack of animals. The church is a pack of wild animals. And you need shepherding just as much as we need shepherding together. Okay? So what that means is, is God's eyes, his, his hands, when he gets to work and it comes at you, his eyes are fixed on you. His heart is fixed on you. His hands hold on to you. You and the church. <laughs> you and your spouse. Teenager. You and your mom and dad. You and your boss. You and your teacher. You and the neighbor you can't stand. You and the person sitting next to you. So we are a team. Whether you like it or not. In God's eyes, it's settled. We're on the same team. So if you're a, if you're a Christian, you're a teammate in the church. Period. If you're a member of this church, you're a teammate of Redeemer Presbyterian Church, period. You know what the only issue to be settled is after that? What kind of teammate will you be? Will you be a good teammate? Or will you be a bad teammate? Which one do you want to be? Right? All right, here's what we're going to do now the remaining of our time together. What the point, probably the point of the fall, the underlining point of all that we're going to do this fall is we need each other to make it, really. (laughs) We need to grow tighter and tougher in a gospel team. That's what we need. Okay, we need each other. It's a team vision. So when, as we're going through the rest of our time together, I, this is what we're believing God to do. Now, again, those of you that 
that might not have been here, or this might sound a little strange to you, again, we believe that God is actively at work. He's always on the move. So when we're in a sermon, we're not, we're not in a classroom. I mean, sure, take notes if it helps you. Sure, do that. Write it down if it helps you. But a sermon, a sermon and the service is God coming down. It is a it is a cataclysmic crash of the infinite coming into the finite and God visiting with you. And you can expect that when the word goes out. So we want him and we're seeking him to do something. We're not just seeking to load up information. So we're not just about writing a dictionary of grace. We're about experiencing grace. Okay? So what is God, we want God to do? What we want God to do in our time together is actually make us good teammates for the gospel, and for his glory. So to actually increase our team vision, even as we go through the rest of this text today. Now again, I told you it's going to be a little more personal. So the way, the structure that I'm going after is lessons learned on sabbatical. Okay? So as we go through the lessons learned on sabbatical, what we're believing God to do and what he will do is unite us and push us and increase our team vision for each other and for the gospel. Okay? You with me? All right, you ready for lesson number one? No more sabbaticals. <laughs> That's what I learned about sabbatical. No more sabbaticals for me. What do you do on sabbaticals? Sabbatical comes from the word Sabbath. The emphasis of Sabbath is rest. I had too much time on my hands. <laughs> Do you understand what I'm trying to tell you? Some of you do. Maybe this will help. I'm 44. Nancy's 40. We have four children, beautiful children. This fall, they will be 15, 13, 11, and 9. Great ages. I love the ages of our children. I mean, you have real conversations. I mean, you really see sports played out now. (laughs) Goofing around. I mean, last weekend, the youth go up to, where did y'all go? Six Flags. That's right. And it was just Belle and I, my youngest. So what did we do? We went out on a date all day, man. We went shopping. We, got, we bought pink jeans. <laughs> we bought, what was that, that blue doggy shirt, right? She loves it. I picked it out. <laughs> then we went out to eat, pigging out, soda, junk food, french fries, fried chicken, whatever. Having a blast. Then we went to a movie. And after the movie, you went Target, and we bought the Hannah Montana new CD, and we're cranking it in the car, and we pull into HEB at 9.30 at night. I throw open all the doors while everyone's at the pumps, and I crank up Hannah Montana, and we sing our guts out to Hannah Montana. I mean, I love this age. Do you understand what I'm trying to tell you? My wife... When she shared her concern with me, I bolted to CVS. I bought two of them just to make sure. I raced home. I paced while she was taking the test. Then she looked at me. And that look said it all. And this is what I said, the first words that came out of my mouth. How in the world does that happen? Oh, I wish you could have seen the angry look on her face. (laughs) I will be 62 years 
old when this child leaves our house in high school. <laughs> this new child. Way too much time on my hands this summer. Way, way too much time. Now, do not come up to me and say children are a blessing from the Lord unless you are willing to have one-week rotations for the rest of this child's life until they're 18 years old. Are you with me? So you come up and you say, but Jeff, children are a blessing from the Lord. I sign you up right there. You get one week a month taking care of this child till they're 18. Okay? All right. Lesson number two. God made a mistake in his providence. Here's the mistake. I was born in the wrong time period in history. <laughs> oh, man. I should have been born in Sparta. <laughs> a converted Gentile, of course. But I should have been born in Sparta. Here's the deal. I don't know what's wrong with me. But I think the second day, the first day, no, the first day of my sabbatical, I'm on the internet investigating because Rob Baker put this seed in my, in my head about two months ago before the sabbatical. He goes, Jeff, you know there are these like uh, training camps for SEAL training, that they train SEALs for the SEAL training and they allow civilians in there. Really? <laughs> so I got on the internet, I chased him down. I found the one I wanted read all the stuff, watched all the videos, got on the phone, called them, talked for a long time with the person on the phone. I'm ready to go. I downloaded the application. I went and told my wife my idea. She rolled her eyes. But to my wife's credit, she said, honey, I want you to go. Dang, yes. Then the next day, I I'm, I'm, can't shake this conviction. The day after, I can't shake this conviction and finally I'm just like it's a lot of money and it would not allow me to take my wife to a special place with just the two of us if I went it's a crap so reluctantly I mean happily <laughs> I trashed those plans and started making plans for Hawaii for my wife and I now looking back now however <laughs> I needed to spend less time with my wife. I should have gone. <laughs> All right. I did something else. I found something else to do that I'm really loving. And this is why I continue to say I should have been born in another time period. Some of you that know me will be like figures. Others will be like, you're a pastor? Um, I am doing hand-to-hand -hand combat training and mixed martial arts fighting. Monday nights from 7 to 10. You know the ultimate fighting stuff you see on TV? Yeah, your pastor does that stuff. Okay? Now, two Mondays ago, I was grappling with a 340-pound young man and his lunchbox of a fist connected with my beautiful nose. Blood just started pouring out. His blood's hitting the mat, and I'm licking my split lip. I thought, man, I've missed this. <laughs> Should have been born in the wrong time period. I talked Dean Mitchell, who's a neighbor down the street friend here, and he's right back there. I talked him into doing it. 
And he had that crazy look in his eye, but he's doing it. We're doing it together. We're having a blast. Now, I need to warn you of two things that you might see this fall or this year, okay? And you need to be warned now. Number one, I might show up on a Sunday with a black eye and a busted face. Do not freak out, please. Okay? Number two, there could be some very scary-looking individuals who come to know Jesus and start attending this church. And when they do, you better be the first to welcome them, and you better take them out to lunch. Okay? Amen. All right. Good. Next lesson. Third lesson, my call. Any pastor who goes on sabbatical has got to wrestle with God's call in their life. You have to. You're not worth your salt if you don't. I did. I wrestled with my call as a minister of the gospel. You know what I looked at? I'm going to be honest with you. I looked at its effect on me. I looked at its effect on my family. And I asked this question. Is it worth it? The other question I looked at is my call in Waco. Should I stay here? I'm being honest with you. I calculated, I'm 44, I've got 30 more years of full throttle, hardcore ministry of the way I only can do it. That's the only way I know how. I don't know any other speed. I don't know any other way. I don't know how to do it any other way. I maybe got 30 years if the Lord gives me that. Those of you that are counting, that's 74. I have to ask myself, how do I want to spend those 30 years? How does God want me to spend those 30 years? Before I start moving up and my ministry changes because of physical restrictions or whatever it is. And I have to minister in a different way when I hit my 80s, 90s. And I had to wrestle with, okay, what do you want to do, Lord, in those 30 years of my life if you give me those? What do you want to do? Will you fulfill the vision for the thousand here in Waco? And please, those of you here for the first time, I'm not into numbers. Good night. I'll beat you up if you think that. <laughs> what I am into, what I am into is building our lives around the gospel. That's what I'm into. And that means worship. And that means nurture. And that means witness are not divided up into pieces. That's reality. You build your life around the gospel. You are a worshiping person. You are a nurturing person. You are an outward-facing person. It's just the way it is. So if we're not nurturing or we're not worshiping or we're not witnessing, it's because we don't get the gospel. That's what I'm about. So should I stay here or should I consider moving on to a bigger city? These are the things I had to wrestle with. So you know what happened? <laughs> so you know how God solved this thing, this stuff going on with me? You know what he did? He grabbed my heart with you. He grabbed my heart with you. I look out here right now and I see my friends. 
This is who I see. I see friends. I see brothers and sisters. I see fellow Spartans. This is where I want to be. Fellow Spartans. For the glory of God and for the gospel. So you can't kick me out. You can fire me. I'll just start another church though. Okay? Now, fourth lesson. I needed more rest than I thought. I needed rest more than I thought I did. You know, that's just kind of the way it goes. Tuesday after preaching at the RUF Summer Conference is when my sabbatical started. Now, I was at the RUF Summer Conference was in May. I mean, I loved it. Can I tell you? Good night how I loved it. 750 college students every night preaching five times to them. What a privilege it was. Hanging out with them in one of the most beautiful beaches in the United States. You know, Panama City. I mean, those of us in Texas, if all we've been to is a Texas beach, get out of Texas. Go to a Florida beach. The sand really is white, guys. I'm telling you. It's really white. And you won't cut your foot open walking down the beach. And the water really is blue. Yeah, you can see the water. (laughs) Okay. I love Texas. Loved it. All right, we get back. Took Monday off. You know, you got to do what you got to do. Pick up the dogs, pay the bills, get your house in order after being gone for a week. Tuesday came, and I woke up, and I said, literally, to myself in bed, now what? Now what am I going to do? I'm on sabbatical. What do I do? And so all day... On the internet site for the SEAL deal. (laughs) At dinner, I'm standing up while I'm eating. After dinner, I'm pacing around the house. My wife, my kids are looking at me like, we've got three more months of this. (laughs) You know, that's when my wife kindly said something about me needing to get a hobby. (laughs) And to her credit, she loves the fact I'm up there beating other young boys. They're not beating me. God got my attention. I don't know how to relax, people. I don't know how to rest. I really don't. And so the question is, why, Jeff Hatton, do you not know how to relax and not know how to rest? What's going on with you? (laughs) And that was the theme and has been the theme the year prior to my sabbatical, into my sabbatical, and even right now in my life. Here's the key words. Rest, reliance, another's righteousness. That's what I'm about. Okay? Second clue is this. 
Two weeks after the RUF Summer Conference, just before leaving for a week of Disney World with the family, I made plans to take Nancy to Hawaii, Maui to be exact. She's never been. We needed time to be away. Remember, I trashed the plans because I need to spend special time with her. We needed a date again, possibly get married again if she'd have me, right? Uh, so I got one of those great summer-saving vacation packages on the Internet. I mean, tremendous. We're going to Maui. We're going to like a four-and-a-half, five-star hotel. I can't wait. She can't wait. Everyone we're telling is excited for us. Liza Mitchell down the street brings her all these great summer dresses I couldn't wait to see her in. And this is before we knew about the baby. All right? I told everybody, when are you going? When are you going? I said, third week in July. Third week in July. I mean, I booked it two weeks after our trip. I booked it, paid it, copied it, stapled it, put it on my desk. Walked away, third week in July. Third week in July came, the Tuesday before the Thursday we were going to leave. I grabbed the packet. I knew we were leaving Thursday morning at 9.30. Grabbed it, wanted to make arrangements, so we'd drive up that Wednesday night. The kids were loving this, too, because it was a win-win for all of us. They got two days with one set of grandparents, two days with another set of grandparents, two days with friends. Come on. Great deal for everybody. We're all excited about this. I grabbed the packet off my desk. My eyes went down to 9.30, and then my eyes went to the date. And my stomach did a flip-flop with a violent twist on the end. According to my itinerary that I'm looking at, Nancy and I are now leaving Maui to come home. I blew it. For the next two days, I got on the phone. I'm trying to talk to all the vendors. No go. Vendors say no. If only, Jeff, <laughs> if only you would have came to us before you, before the date that you were supposed to leave, even the day of that you were leaving, we could have worked something out for you. That was the gist of all the conversations I had for two days. I couldn't fix it. I failed. There's, I mean, I felt like the biggest bonehead in the world. And I was. I mean, how do you go make plans like that, walk away from it, having the wrong date in your head? And it's so confident you never go back and look at the plans just to make sure. Oh, well, there's a theme in my life. Right? But God is always on the move. What's the theme? Rest. Reliance. Another's righteousness. Loud and clear. All right. Can I be honest with you as we're wrapping up here? I think I have been pretty much so, so far, don't you think? All right. The year leading up to my sabbatical and then into my sabbatical, I was finding myself dropped in the middle of a stormy sea. And this is some of this stuff that's going on led to me needing to take a sabbatical. And what I mean by that is being dropped in the middle of a stormy sea at night. Not able to see land. Now, I've, I've been dropped into many a stormy sea. Don't get me wrong. Many. Many stormy seas. But all of them had one common denominator. It's a storm. It could be at night but I could still see land. <laughs> so I'd start swimming. 
The difference between this storm that was coming on my life, that God was bringing into my life, in prior to the sabbatical, during the sabbatical, even now that the Lord is teaching me about is, I couldn't see land. Swimming's useless. No self-reliance is allowed, Jeff Hatton, the Lord says. What? Just, just give me a glimpse, please. I'll just doggy paddle. That's all I'll do. No, no breaststroke. Certainly no freestyle. Just let me float, please. Now. Now, over the past year, leading into the sabbatical and the sabbatical, there's several storm fronts that came together to get my perfect storm. And I want to say right now, you have your own storms. So when you hear what I'm about to say, you have your own tailor-made ingredients for your storms that God brings your way. They're tailor-made for you. They have your own special, personal ingredients that God's at work in your storms, okay? Now, there might be some overlap between some of the ingredients in mine and the ingredients in yours, and we learn from them because comfort and affliction is a communal experience. Good. But do not ape my experience into your experience and think that's the way it's got to be. Okay? Good. All right. My perfect storm, I have my own skin. I'm very intense. I have a very driven personality. Have you figured that out yet? I came to it. I came into the world like this. I can't change this. This is by design. This is who I am. I've got to live with me. You've got to live with me. And I've got to live with you. It's a mutual thing, right? Second is this. Ten years of rightly and wrongly carrying the weight of the church on my shoulders. From its inception as a nothing to where it is now. Rightly or wrongly, I have felt like I've carried the weight. Okay? The other, severe exhaustion, self-explanatory. The other, spiritual battle, the unknown, the unknown factor for many of our lives. We don't realize that we have an enemy that's out to kill us. <laughs> Destroy us. Literally. Finally, never-ending ministry demands. All that together did this. Okay? But what I do want you to hear is this. Though our symptoms may be different... Every storm, every soul in every storm has the same need. Every soul in every storm is the same. I want you to look at verses 8 and 9. This is how we're ending. I do not want you to be ignorant, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia, for we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. But, that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. Our souls are the same because we are addicted to self-reliance. There is no one in this room that's not addicted to self-reliance. If you are, that proves the addiction. If you think you are not, that proves the addiction. Okay? Our souls are the same in this, that our ultimate needs the same. We need rest. We need reliance. We need another's righteousness. Every single one of us. All right? So here's what we're going to do over the next couple of weeks. We're going to unpack what it means, what addiction to self-reliance looks like. We're going to unpack what rest, reliance, another's righteousness looks like. 
And we're going to unpack it through the rest of this fall. So what we've just done now is really just a coming attraction. So if you want the movie, you've got to come back. And we're going to do exposition here in this passage, and then we're going to move into a workshop and look at the Psalms and see it on display. Really find our voice in the Psalms. And then possibly, I mean, like my brother texted me the other day and he said, I know exactly what you need to preach on. Hebrews, so you learn to rest, bro. (laughs) So maybe we'll do Hebrews. But we'll certainly, probably, maybe, I hope, get into Colossians. Okay? That's where we're going. Here's how we're going to end today. I want you to look carefully at verse 9. If you got that booklet, look at it. If you got your Bible, look at it. Do you see it? Verse 9, do you see it? Oh man, I love this. Do you see it? It's a hint. I'm going to give you a hint. You ready? It's a verb tense in verse 9. Look, find the verb tense. Here it is. The God who raises the dead. Guess what? That's in present tense. We're not to rely ourselves, but on God, the God, who raises the dead. Present tense, ongoing, continual, never stops, never ceases. It's always this way. This present tense is telling you, brothers and sisters, who God is. This is who he is. It's a window word. A window word is a word that gives you a view into a whole other reality. It gives you a view into otherworldly stuff. And when you get a window word, it gives you a picture of the wonder of God's character. It's who he is. He is this way. He is the one who raises the dead. Present tense. Now some of you are thinking, of course he is when you become a Christian. That's right. But this is present tense. So it's not just the resurrection, you become a Christian. The Christian life is filled with many, unlimited, many resurrections. Because the self-reliance that Paul is struggling with is also in the present tense. So it's telling you that Paul, Paul struggled with self-reliance. I'm so glad that's in the text. In his ongoing struggle with self-reliance, there is a God who is ongoingly raising the dead. Man, that's good stuff. So this is what we're going to do. There is a God who specializes in raising and rescuing. It's who he is. So you out there that are dead, guess what? The deader you are, the better it is. So get more dead, please. The good news is the deader the better to God. He loves to raise the dead. Specializes in it. So he specializes in going into storms in the middle of the ocean where you're struggling to keep your head above water And in fact, the the psalmists say, your billows roll over me. 
the floodwaters are up to my neck. And I call out to the Lord. And you hear me. Because you're the God that raises the dead. So our plan is for you visitor, for you regular, you member, and for you skeptic, and you that are jaded at the church and jaded at Christianity, I invite you this fall to come to know and experience truly, truly, the God who raises the dead. And I invite you for your sake. And I invite you for your family's sake. And I invite you for this church's sake. And I invite you for your unbelieving friend's sake. And for this community's sake. For Waco's sake. And for beyond Waco's sake. I invite you. I mean, come on. Who's with me? So be it. Let's pray. Oh Lord, we thank you that you you raise the dead. Raise us all, Lord. Because we are self-reliant, stubborn, messy people. And we want our song to be as you change us. Grace alone. The God who raises the dead alone. All glory, all honor, all praise, all joy, all delight, all rest, all reliance, another's righteousness. You alone, Lord. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.